I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Wild Tales podcast. I'm Jason Fox and this podcast is about amazing stories of adventure, resilience and survival of every kind. The podcast is presented by The Book of Man and supported by Talisker Single Malt Whiskey. I'm going to be taking questions on this one from people on Instagram and the top three questions that I read out that I designate as the top three, they will get a bottle of Talisker 10-year-old. My guest today is Jay Morton, who you'll all hopefully know as the mole in the current series of SAS Who Dares Wins. We have a chat about his career in the Special Forces, his mountaineering work which has involved climbing Everest twice, and what the outdoors does for him. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, hello everyone. Um, Wild Tales podcast with me, Jason Fox. Today, we've got Jay Morton, who is, he goes by many names, number four, the mole, DS, but now Jay Morton as well, because he's a good friend of mine. Anyway, Jay... um, was in the parachute regiment and in the SAS. Um, little bit of background there. I was in the Royal Marines. Jay was a para. There's not a lot of difference apart from they concentrate on throwing themselves out planes. We do a little bit on the water. We wash, they don't. And it goes on from there. But no, there's a lot of respect between the Royal Marines and the paras. And I've got a lot of friends that are in the paras. That's where Jay started his military career. But what we're going to do first is we're going to go back to the beginning. And you as a child... <laughs> Jay Morton, what was he like? Oh God, I was probably a horrendous child. I think, uh, I think, like speaking to my parents, I always had a smile on my face, which I probably still do now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I grew up kind of working class family. Um, went from? to school from Preston, the north, so I'm a northerner. Um, yeah, and then kind of school. Uh, you know, I always say kind of school didn't really work for me. Kind of didn't really enjoy. Um, working in classrooms and and written work and listening to teachers and kind of probably at school found all the the topics pretty boring which is quite ironic now because I'm quite interested in like history and geography (laughs) and that kind of thing but back then like didn't want to know about it yeah yeah um what was it like being a sort of a young adult in Tokyo Jew so before (laughs) Tokyo Jew gee that's I'm now basically showing you that Your I know age. Preston. <laughs> there's a age. night. There's a nightclub in uh, Preston called Tokyo Joe's. Uh, in fact, there we go. Tell us about that. It's closed down now. Is I it? Think yeah, I think it's called Lava. Oh, mate! Unbelievable. Anyone from Preston there that remembers Tokyo Joe's? You. That was old. like the big night, wasn't it? Tokyo Joe's. Yeah, I had a few mates from Preston, so we used to go out there. And, uh, I was going to say we probably crossed paths at sometimes, didn't probably. we? Probably. I probably knew you were power and shunned you. <laughs> <laughs> probably smelt me a mile. Yeah, off. <laughs> ran the other way. Um, why did you join the military um, and what drove you towards the parachute regiment I guess like when I said like school probably didn't work for me um, I was kind of probably an outdoor kid enjoyed being in the outdoors um, enjoyed playing sport went to college when I, when I finished school to do sport and again it was the same process of didn't like being indoors uh, did, enjoyed playing the sport didn't really like doing the work sitting down in front of a computer like writing on pieces of paper all that kind of bores me mm-hmm. at the time I had at the time I kind of wanted to go into the marines funnily enough and when I went into the careers office the uh, the guy sat behind the, the desk told me that I had to do I think it was 15 pull-ups to get into the marines yeah and <laughs> <laughs> I probably can't do 15 pull-ups now yeah. I mean I probably can I probably do yeah. about 30 but I mean did 15 this morning <laughs> mate did 15 for breakfast um <laughs> But yeah, at the time, it kind of put me off. I could probably do about three pull-ups. I was a bit more of a runner when I was younger. Um, and at the time, I had a mate who was in the paras. He was in three para. Yeah. And he used to come back at the weekend and on leave and uh, kind of spin his dits and tell his stories about what he'd been doing. 
and um, <clears> yeah I guess that kind of just attracted me to going to the paras yeah and I always kind of I didn't want to join the army and you know end up being a fucking vehicle driver or a clerk or something that's you know I wanted to do like go in and not that that's bad well <laughs> well but I wanted to have you wanted a to be purpose. a soldier yeah I wanted yeah. to have a bit of purpose and if I wanted to be a soldier I wanted to be the best soldier and you know I didn't want to be kind of second best like the marines so that's kind of what <laughs> drove me to be a para it's funny you say that actually because I had a, a, a mate of mine who I um, we didn't grow up grow up together but we grew up from a distance together and we'd always talked about the military he was keen hell bent on joining the marines and so was I so we thought we were going to join up together his name is Wayne Masters actually I know Wayne Masters yeah yeah, yeah he yeah, ended yeah. up joining I remember he phoned yeah. me up and he said I'm joining the paras and I was like what you've abandoned me and he joined free but he ended up being tanks no way yeah yeah, yeah, no Wayne, yeah yeah good luck big shout out to Wayne yeah um, so you joined the paras your brain was removed you learned how to jump out of planes. How long were you in the paras before you then decided? And what made you decide to go SF? Um, yeah, so I did four years in the paras. And kind of at the time that we joined, Iraq was just dying down. And Afghanistan was making the news a little bit. So did the first tour in, in Iraq in 2005. And it was during that tour that the whole that America... You know, it was in the news that America was going to be going into Afghanistan, and the Brits were going to be supporting. And it was it, it was like umming and ahhing at the start, and we were getting pulled into briefs whilst we were in Iraq, and uh, no one really knew what was going on. You know, no one had been in any real conflict in Iraq. It was more IED based, or you know, and it was generally not targeted against against the Brits. So no one really knew what was going on. And I mean, I was you know nineteen, twenty years old now didn't really care to be honest mm. as you don't and um yeah you know the year after time went pretty quick and we, we we got back from that iraq tour and i think it was i want to say three months later we deployed to afghanistan 2006 um you know turned out to be pretty bloody six months uh lost quite a few people um you know we did have an awesome time there as a as a, as a unit and as a battalion and then came back from there and then two years later we found ourselves back out there in 2008 and the operation like wasn't as kinetic or wasn't as um, busy as the 2006 one and it was kind of during that time I kind of wished that w- wish that it was but f- for, for the good reasons and not the bad and we used to see I think it was your guys so the SBS lads fly out on operations out of Kandahar so um we all kind of sat around like as you do in the evening and we'd talk about <coughs> we'd talk about you know maybe going on selection and we're still quite young I was 24 and um, there was a big group of us I think nine of us that decided to go on selection when we finished that 2008 tour and I kind of didn't really know what the hell I was getting in, into like didn't know anything about the SAS didn't know anything about the SBS as you do you're just a naive para isn't it and like all mm. you know for anyone that doesn't know you kind of you get brainwashed when you join the paras to believe that like the paras are the best thing ever and everything else is shit which is kind of true but uh, <laughs> but yeah you're kind of brainwashed and you you know you almost look up to like the SAS and SBS as being for example crap hats we used to call them and <laughs> that means someone that's not a para yeah so like you know it's all reg 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 when you're in, in, in the paras um, and I think nine of us went on that selection in 2008 and I was the only one to pass because um, I mean it's, selection is I mean it's it's long in it yeah that's, that's the only way you can describe it and I enjoyed it though yeah you sort of le- you are left to your own devices aren't you as long as you can deal with your own head it yeah. isn't that bad is it it's quite, it's, it's quite grown up isn't it yeah as in you know for each phase as long as you're doing the work you're left alone mm. maybe not the jungle you get thrashed in the jungle yeah but the hills, it's like, it's quite nice, isn't it, to go out, you do your test march, you come back in, you eat shitloads of food because you can, because you just burnt so many calories. And then that's you, you, you kind of get your head down or, or do your admin. There's no, yeah, because there's no one, there's no one actually shouting at you. There's yeah. no one saying you have to do this, you have to do that. And I don't know if we've covered this before, but you, you just, you get told you need to be at a certain place at a certain time and that's all you need to do. Okay, I- yeah, you've got to navigate. 
But the only thing that puts a lot of people off is they wake up in the morning. They're their only drive and motivation. It's raining. It's dark, cold, mm. and miserable. And you see blokes, don't you? You just see people going, right. nah, yeah, I'm doing it. it Which it, actually, if you're still there remaining, it's, it's like... it's gives like you the, strength. Yeah, you get strength, strength from it. It's like yeah. there's an old film from 1986 called The Highlander. And like it's a bit gory, and whenever someone gets their head chopped off, all the power goes from that dead person into the other person that did the killing. Now that's a bit. I don't know if it's that all right. <laughs> it's a film, but that's what I used to on selection. I, I love Thailand. Love, it was called The Quickening. Awesome and I, film. I used to say on selection, if someone, if I saw someone rap, give up. It's like The Quickening. I was like feeding off their their strength and weaknesses. It's, I love uh, the film The Highlander. It was awesome, but yeah. it was that, wasn't it? It was like you you turned up, you know, you prayed. And it was still dark. It was pissing down with rain. Mm. You sat on your bergen, and I, f- I felt like they purposely made you wait for, you know, a good thirty minutes to, you know, an hour. <laughs> sat in the pissing rain on your bergen, getting wet, pretty miserable. Before they turned around and asked if anyone wanted to VW, and you yeah. always got people at VW. Didn't yeah, you? yeah. And they'd already they've done the waiting already. Is that I what know. you're doing? And if they were Royal Marine, they'd probably pack the kit about four times that morning. <laughs> already had about two showers. If they were para, they probably just bit of deodorant on the armpits if you were lucky. <laughs> oh, there was, uh, yeah. You know, the para, some of the paras actually got into bed in there in all their kit I from the day before. I did. <laughs> I did. No, that was like Disgusting. the best thing to do. You got more sleep. Because <laughs> if you if you finished all your admin and I took a little microwave with some like microwave rice, <laughs> so in the evening I'd have like, you'd have like your main meal and then I'd go back and before I went in bed, I'd get like, microwave rice out put that in the microwave bit of like pasta sauce eat that and then I put like my dry kit on for the next day <laughs> and sleep in that Bonking. so that when I got up I was just like straight out see we, is it, oh, the marines we, actually I remember they, they get up at like it's quite annoying because you sleep in these <laughs> huge fucking big rooms I don't know there's what 20 people in one room more than that man so like if, if one person's up everyone's up yeah. you'd always get the marines getting up and the, they'd have the foam roller out at fucking Fourth, oh, I never yeah, did yeah. any of that. Foam rolling. And what doing I will yoga. say though is like there was so everyone that was in so I was in obviously in the Marines, so we did things slightly differently. We're a bit cleaner, but in, in when you're in the army, you sort of it, the onus wasn't on washing. You could smell. That's why they're called pongos. Wherever they go, the pongos. <laughs> and um, we used to get up and and the toilet blocks on the hills phase of selection are like 200 meters outside the accommodation yeah. block. And you'd wake up, because you're drinking water all the time, you'd wake up bursting for a piss. And you'd be like, oh, as a, as a boot, as a bootneck, as a Marine, you put your towel on, put your flip-flops on, scurry through the rain for 200 metres, have a wee, come back. Not these <laughs> not these wretched creatures, they'd just have an empty squash bottle next to them, like that, roll over, piss into the bottle, do it up. Some people even had industrial-sized ones that they saved up over a period of time. It was honking. That's anyway. what I call good admin. <laughs> I missed the piss. It bottle. was funny. <laughs> it was funny. That's um, what I enjoy about the expedition. Anyway, enough there. of selection. Um, you then went on had an illustrious career in the SAS, which we obviously can't really talk about. Mm-hmm. What was? I mean, how did you find daily life in the smash? Um, I used to love it, to be honest. Yeah. It's like a you know, it's a dream job. It's probably a job that most men dream about. Um, you know, and you get to do it. Um, you know all the it ticks all the boxes yeah you know used to pride myself on being able to do the job as best as i could and uh like no i wouldn't say any day's the same is it no. every day is different and you know each day has its own challenges or its own difficult points it's also got, you know it's a, i would say that the job is full of and i would say most jobs in the military but especially in in the special forces it's very you have extreme highs and you probably have extreme lows and it's mm. it's like a, a constant kind of cascade of that really, isn't it? It's a it's an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. But the I mean one of the things that I sort of not miss, but one of the things I did enjoy was like there is a lot of camaraderie in there yeah. in the squadron, a lot of banter. I think that's what I missed when I the most when I got out mm. was just not being surrounded by that group of like alpha males that you yeah. know are all singing off the same song sheet and like the banter and the crack that you have there. A lot of people in in that job in special forces, they sort of get to specialise in certain things. What was your speci- speciality? So, like initially, I was a patrol medic. Yeah. So obviously, when you join, you can either be demolitions 
Which is what I was. Which is, yeah. Or medic. So I chose medic, so specialised in that. Um, I went into... So our, our squadron's pretty much... It's split into four. So you have a boat squad... Uh, sorry, a boat troop, a mobility troop, a mountain troop, and an air troop. So I went into... I basically wanted to go into mobility troop or air troop because I was para. <laughs> I turned up, I didn't get either. Yeah, so the one that I wanted to avoid was, was mountain troop because I'd never climbed. I wasn't scared of heights, but I think everyone has some sort of like wobbly leg, like high exposure. So for me, natural progression was <laughs> I do. from the paras into um, air troop. Anyway, ended up going into mountain troop, didn't I? So... Um, you kind of specialise in your trade, which you know ours was mountains. So being able to operate and get a squadron or group of men over whatever kind of terrain it is, uh, and then that kind of I end up enjoying it. You do, but just to just to throw a bit of background into this, you do get sent away on some awesome courses, and you yeah. do you learn your trade really well, don't you, in that mm. troop? Yes, but yeah, and like they do say, like. It's, it is the hardest troop just because mm. you go away do the Norways you're constantly in cold conditions it is the hardest troop that and boat troop because mm. they're constantly fucking wet but that's why I was boat yeah like boat's horrible though isn't it it's like, <laughs> just wet all the time wet and miserable and it's not even like you go anywhere nice <laughs> it's like the North Sea <laughs> it's not nice but uh, yeah so I ended up enjoying the mountain stuff um, and found found I picked it up really well I picked skiing up really well picked climbing up really well and um, we in the SAS we send our guys off every two years to train in Germany to become mountain guides mm. military mountain guides and I got picked and, and volunteered myself to go away and do that for two years um, so I ended up becoming the SME in my squadron SME for, is subject matter expert for anyone that didn't know yeah so I ended up being the SME in kind of all the mountain stuff within my squadron cool so obviously time in the SAS went away fought loads of stuff did mountain stuff did cool stuff ups and downs highs and lows you then left when what year did you leave mate 2018 I had to think about that didn't I it's only that's a, a year what and, we are now year and a half ago 18 months ago August why'd you leave it was kind of a few reasons to be honest it wasn't just one deciding factor I think the biggest reason probably was time and my time and how I wanted to spend it you know being being the SAS it's a very very busy job mm. you're constantly away you're constantly overseas constantly out of your bed you don't get time to develop and do the things that you want to do and that you have interest in so that was kind of the main reason other reasons kind of I was still young I was 34 years old I still felt like I had a lot to give into into something else yeah and I kind of felt like I'd done everything within the special forces or I ticked most boxes that I wanted to tick mm. and I didn't want to stay in or hang around to tick the other boxes when I felt like I could do other things yeah I see what you're saying so I mean Jay just so people know um, you left as a sergeant yeah. So a team leader within within that organisation. So you're responsible for men. You're responsible for an awful lot, actually, as a as a sergeant. Mm. But then what happens is you sort of the next stages up your operational career. It slows down. Although you still get to go away, you're doing more admin type jobs, aren't you? Yeah. And, and a lot of people. That's good. It's good. It, it suits people. That's what they want to do. They want to keep climbing that ladder. You become a sergeant major or an SQ, a, a squadron quartermaster who looks after stores and stuff like that. But when it comes to the actual job that you wanted to do as a young lad, it sort of starts to finish there, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly that. And it's like, you know, the best years in the SAS are like the first two years that you join because you, you're fresh-eyed, you're straight into it, and you don't really have much responsibility mm. other than like to join in the stack and, and follow on people into the doorway. And it's like, that's the fun aspect of it. Mm. And then... Yeah, the longer you're in, the more responsibility you have. But like like you just said, Foxy, it's like the more desk-bound you become or, yeah. you know, the prospects of being more desk-bound like become greater. I guess that kind of put me off. Again, I don't like desks. No, I don't. <laughs> We're sat in front of one now. I know. Um, it's a table. 
<laughs> table desk tomato no desk. tomato desk of penza um there's a pen somewhere probably um right whilst you're in obviously mountains you became your thing if i'm not mistaken your first everest were you still in the military yeah yeah still serving in the right, SS because i mean that's a that's a big fucking thing let's mm. talk about everest number one yeah i guess like that's you know the quest to climb everest started way before we, we summited um and it was it was an ex-regiment guy uh john he wanted to climb k2 um and he kind of put it to guys in the regiment and they said look why don't you take some regiment guys with you so you know the the kind of invitation went out you know i jumped on it straight away as you would yeah um and then we looked we sat down and we we designed like a training program or like a you know john didn't really have much climbing experience so it was about a training program to be able to go from you know john was i think 47 at the time he was involved in like a serious helicopter crash out in afghanistan in like the early days um where he was left pretty pretty fucked up so it was about getting him to the summit of everest or at the time k2 but which turned into to everest so we kind of looked down like looked at what we had to do so it, it was basically some uk trips uh some chamonix trips just to you know get used to wearing crampons all that kind of stuff and then we we went out to climb a, a mountain in, in nepal called manaslu which is the eighth highest mm-hmm. and uh it's probably this mountain that we probably learned a lot of lessons as we we, we did it completely wrong <laughs> <laughs> as you do your first eight thousand what would you do climb up it backwards what's going on <laughs> sideways <laughs> nah but i mean like so if, if anyone doesn't know anything about climbing eight thousand meter mountains you basically have a two-month period and within that two-month period you'll get weather windows yeah so generally like for everest you're guaranteed one you might get two there's a slim chance of getting three um so you've got to get to that mountain do all your prep do all your acclimatization get all your oxygen high and be in a position so that you can attack when those weather windows open yeah two months so we completely fucked up flew out late um, (laughs) (laughs) and we probably had a month to do all this so we rushed we kind of acclimatization you're supposed to do 500 meters a day so we flew straight to fire helicopter flew straight to the the village that's below base camp right sits at about 4700 meters samagown i think it's called we sat there for about three days decided to go up to base camp have a look came down second day went up to base camp and then we kind of started our acclimatization phase at this point you had all the other teams who had already kind of done their acclimatization they were looking for a summit push so we were like on the back foot already um met some crazy russian dude who came into the camp and we thought it was like russian um intelligence services come to spy on us you can imagine all you lot were like climbing up don't talk to him he's <laughs> yeah. a spy he's trying to find out secrets he's trying to give us all like these he had these like weird fried bread things that he brought with him a big Laced hessian vodka. yeah we were like he's drugged I was like trying to hide him every time he was giving them us um, he was he was nuts though mate he tried he basically went for this summit push he arrived he arrived into he arrived to the mountain um, like four days late because he got held at customs all his mates had climbed they'd left his kit at camp three so he turned up no kit like nothing so he popped his head in our tent because he, he could see it was it was people were in it so we we took him in uh he just went one day to climb I had no idea where his kit was um <laughs> when we went to climb we were we were at camp two and uh we were sat out one night it was pitch black i could just see this light in the distance <laughs> i was like what's that and like as he got closer it's this Russian guy he basically he couldn't find his rucksack so he couldn't find his Bergen had no kit he'd attempted a summit attempt on his but, Jack Jones yeah on his but he had no like head torch and all he had was his little you know like a Nokia 3210 <laughs> and he had the light from this Nokia 3210 <laughs> and he's trying to come down a fucking 8,000 metre mountain like this 3210 <laughs> and then so we're like, mate. That get- sounds like me on New Year's <laughs> Eve. <laughs> we're like, get in, get in. We're like, right, pitch your tent. 
we'll, we'll, we'll give you some food. So he's like, he gets his tent out. It's one of ours. He's <laughs> stolen our tent. <laughs> and the fucking line Sneaky was snapped. <laughs> um, but now going back to, to the original story, uh, we ended up cracking this mountain way too late. Everyone had come off the mountain. There was us and a German team, which we knew. Um, and I'd basically, basically it was the first 8,000 or so it was, you know, it probably wasn't the time to, to do all the fuck ups, but we did it. Um, acclimatized really like wrong. So like John had really bad, um, altitude sickness. Yeah. Probably to the point that like we should have gone back down, but we didn't, we grizzed it out. I think it was at camp two. I've got a picture of him. Like he, he looks like he's about to die. Um, but I thought it would be smooth climbing it. So I packed the right amount of rations and I took no kind of, basically didn't pack any extra rations. When we got to camp two, like the heavens opened up and we got stuck in this big snowstorm. Um, and all our tents, we were supposed to bypass two and go straight to three where our tents were. Mm-hmm. So we had no tents at camp two. Luckily this German team are there. So we had three in a like three people in a two man tent for two days, <laughs> and I hadn't packed the extra rations for it. So, as you can imagine, I probably had like I probably had to get up, have a breakfast, and then that was me for the rest of the day. Like you can't sleep because the altitude. Just had a banging headache, like dehydrated, <laughs> hungry. Oh, everything, everything that you could ever imagine happened to us. Just stuck in a snowstorm. Anyway, two days passed. And we set off uh, to climb. We were probably in knee-deep snow. So malnutritioned, dehydrated, we set off in knee-deep snow. And if anyone's tried walking in knee-deep snow, let alone climbing, you'll know how hard it is. So we're all fatigued, all fucked. And um, anyone that knows Manaslu, it's quite avalanche-prone. So to get so aval- like to trigger an avalanche, the slope has to be around... Uh, like 35 degrees I think it's like 33.5 and between two sets of degrees anyway and there's quite a few 35 degree slopes on Manaslu heavy snowfall high winds all big indicators of avalanche should have known but you you know you get summit fever and all that kind of stuff and so we set off trailblazing with this German team everyone's like fucked everyone's fatigued and um, we're going over these 35 degree slopes and I was just like you know when you just like <laughs> yeah. you know when it starts going <laughs> yeah. and like the old indicators are going up and I'm like I remember grabbing Mingma aside like our Sherpa and I was like Mingma I was like is this safe and he just looked at me and went no <laughs> <laughs> and, end of conversation yeah, at the time I was like I was struggling with, with the acclimatisation so I was quite you know everyone was ahead of me I was quite at the back so there was no way of me getting getting in front of people and saying look guys we should we should turn around here should maybe call this off so I cracked on with Mingma and uh, as we got up to I think just past camp three we all kind of bundled up and uh, it was about this time I started looking around and I just started seeing like areas that had avalanched and like as we came up one of the German guys was running back and he's just like mate I'm off this mountain he's like there's too many avalanches happening and as we climbed up to where everyone was like literally the next bit of hill had all avalanched and they were all stood on like the avalanche uh, debris yeah <clears throat> at that time we decided to to dig a an avalanche block to test the snowpack to see if it was I mean I don't know why I mean all the indicators are there <laughs> you didn't need to dig a fucking block <laughs> I don't know just That's a quick one an avalanche snow block is basically you can it's a, how, a way of testing snow if it's prone to avalanche and it, it basically means if you if it slips you probably yeah. shouldn't go yeah. but there was no point because you're obviously already seen avalanches yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, like a, it's a token effort yeah all the indicators are there and like looking back on it it you know it makes me cringe talking about it because like you'd never do that in the mountains you'd never do that in the Alps but mm. because it was like an 8,000 metre mountain yeah yeah and there's a bit of that thing you know it's the first time you've climbed with Sherpas and you, you put you, you put a bit of trust in them to know the local knowledge mm. and um, we dug this avalanche this this block and the whole slope next to it which we weren't stood on slid so at that point I was like I grabbed John because you know my safety was with John I was like mate we're off this mountain 
and we just we turned around and managed to get all the way back down to base camp so that was the build up to Everest yeah. <laughs> was Everest easier obviously yeah no and um <laughs> Like the, you know, we learnt all those lessons doing Manusley, which was, which was good in a way because we could have a, you know, we could wipe the slate clean and we'd have a good start and a, you know, a good um, advantage when we went, when we went to come on onto Everest. Um, yeah, everything pretty, every, everything was pretty smooth on on that Everest expedition. Um, <clears throat> and we didn't really have any mess ups like I felt you know we acclimatised nice and gradually we did 500 metres a day um, did one acclimatisation rotation which is where you go from base camp up to camp three over f- four or five days I think it was five days mm-hmm. you come back down to base camp um, where you sleep until you get one of these weather windows and then you, you push up for the summit um, and everything went really smooth John acclimatised really well Um but yeah, like we got up to, got up on the summit push, we got up to camp four. And at that time, I think we we're on the second weather window. What you had is all these high winds and camp four is like a big, it's in like a big U shape. And you had all these like strong winds that just hit the side of the mountain and then just push up and come through this, this U shaped bowl almost. And they were pushing at like, you know, 100 mile an hour plus winds. Oosh. And we got up there and, it was quite a warm wind though so you know your, your fingers didn't get too cold but um, at the time like our tent that the Sherpas had erected was completely trashed from the wind so we got up to camp four trying to set this tent up mm. um, we managed to get the tent up got in the tent and uh, we sent the Sherpas out to, to speak to all the other teams and um, they came back in and were like most of the teams are aborting or they're going to stay another 24 hours and attempt tomorrow Um there's like a big group of like really experienced Indian climbers that turned around and sacked it because of the wind. Um, and we're all like kind of sat in this, this four man tent all staring at each other thinking like, what do we do? And, uh, we went to sleep, woke up again. And I remember just putting my hand out. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Window at the time and... I felt like the temperature, like the wind was still strong, but the temperature of the, the air seemed to increase. I, I don't know why, but it just felt like, you know, if we got stuck on the mountain and the wind was that strong, like maybe it's warm and we wouldn't be that cold. Or <laughs> I just, I don't know what got into me, but I, I just thought at least if we if we make an attempt, we've probably got enough oxygen. We're all pretty healthy. Like no one's, no one's fatigued. I thought if we get 500 metres up and the winds were too strong, we could always come back down an attempt uh, the next night so we set off and I don't know you could probably count the amount of head torches going up there was that there was that little yeah probably about 10 people Um, we actually had we had three Sherpas at the time and one of the Sherpas like couldn't climb he was too too tired and the other Sherpa decided to give up just as after we set off so John had a Sherpa Mingma and then I was free rolling so I kept having it in my head that um, if I don't climb fast, this weather's going to come in and we're going to have no chance. So I like shot off on my own, probably passed about two or three people on the route. Had the whole route to myself. Yeah. Um, I tried waiting for John, but I just thought I need to get up to the summit. Got to the summit about nine a.m. 
so sun had come up it was quite warm at the time and um there was two korean climbers on the summit at that at, the, at that point so i literally like ran up to him i was like mate can you take a picture i've got a flag at the time i had like the squadron sas flag yeah so i pulled that out they took a picture they left the summit and i was on the summit on my own awesome yeah that yeah. is awesome for like 30 minutes i stayed up there i mean that's I mean that's pretty special anyway, especially in like in this day and age. There's a lot of people that go for that summit, and you, it's obviously rare to be on the top of the world on your own for that amount of time. Yeah, it's like if you if you look this last year at the pictures that like our friend Nims yeah, uploaded, yeah. like the amount of people queuing <clears throat> to get on that summit. What did it feel like? You know, when you were up there on your own, was it? You know, how did that? How did that feel? Just were you like, fucking hell? Yeah, kind of surreal because. You know, you'd invested all this energy and yeah. time, and you know, you'd sat down with me and John and designed this program to get into the summit, and you're finally on that summit, and not only like you're not even sharing it with anyone, you're just on your own. Just I don't know, it's surreal. It's yeah. I, I was trying to, I was trying to make the most of it, which yeah. is weird. I was trying to like appreciate it or trying to remember it at the same time. Yeah, yeah. What um, year was that? That was 2017. Right. Okay. So. That was while you were still in. You came out, you left. You pretty much went in to work f- with Through Dark. Mm-hmm. De- like Through Dark, for anyone that doesn't know, is a it's still a startup company, really, isn't it? High tech, yes. technical outdoor equipment. It's 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 punchy in price, but it's punchy for a reason. It's proper properly technical equipment to be used by experts, really. Um. What's your role then? So I'm Exped, Exped Director. Um, so I kind of deal with getting the brand on the on the mountain, testing, R&D, uh, content, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So all the outdoor aspect of the brand and then that feeds directly into, into the clothing and garments. Cool. It is decent stuff, worth a look at. Um, you've done Everest twice. You did it again last year. Last year, last year, yeah, yeah last year, yeah, last summer. So that's that was another one that was. I mean, that was busy, busy period. Yeah, it's different. Like, it's just two different experiences on the hill. Mm. And this this last one, you know, Everest got a lot of bad press uh, about the amount of people that climb it, and so it should do really. But you know, you can never stop anyone climbing a mountain. No, and there's a reason that people want to climb Everest. It's the biggest mountain in the world, and like how do you police that because um, everyone everyone has the right essentially to climb that mountain like, it's, no, no, it's no real different if you go up to the Brecon Beacons on a sunny day on a Saturday or Sunday there's hundreds and hundreds of people climbing Snowdon isn't I know it? And, oh sorry not Snowdon and Penny Fan yeah and, and you know especially when it's winter and it's snowing mm. like people turn up in night trainers and that and that's yeah. you know underprepared and they just don't know what they're getting yeah, into yeah. and taking selfies on the top it's, it's sort of no different just on another level really isn't it yeah it just you know. costs a lot more money <laughs> um, right I'm going to move on because there's going to be a bit that a lot of people do want to hear about and that is early-ish last year we decided as, as a team from SAS Who Dares Wins that we wanted to spice things up a little bit we've spiced it up before in the past but not on this level and we wanted to um, introduce a mole <laughs> a spy a snitch in the ranks um, but this time we wanted to do it with purpose so we wanted someone to come in and be that person but who is from a special forces background and the person that stepped up to the mark was you yeah, Jay Morton talk to me I mean I've got my <laughs> own take on it and, and that's not what we're here for we're here, we're here about your take so let's first I'll tell you where we'll start off because I do like this little bit Let's start off with when we all turned up at the beginning of the prep period before the shoot. So we're all there. There's me, you, and Ollie and Billy as essentially 5DS building up, ready to start the shoot. But we all knew that you were going to be the mole. How was that for you? Um, it was fine. You know, I think for me it was like trying to get that cover story right in my head wasn't it yeah, yeah. I was constantly talking he to was you. panicking he yeah. was panicking because I didn't like I didn't know the people that were going on or I'd never watched the show to be honest I probably watched like a few of them <gasps> I mean I always watch the show <laughs> <laughs> I've catched up now but uh no it's just trying to get that cover story right because 
I was saying to you, well, you, didn't, gonna... you didn't want to blow your cover, did you? you no wanted one wants to, to blow the cover. You wanted to do cover. well. well no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, but you, know, you wanted to be professional again, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, because imagine if I'd have fucked it up. Yeah. I'm like, you know, there's a lot of weight hanging on my shoulders. You mm-hmm. know, like special forces guy is going to be the new DS. So, like, I had to, I had to get it all right. Um, and I said at the start I was going to be a PT. Yeah, you I remember. Like, Mate, don't be a PT. Everyone's a PT in there. Mm. And, you know, I probably would have got caught out. But um, was, there was a few PTs that have done it for a long time, so they sort of know it well, don't they? Yeah. So I decided to go with uh, a story that I was a factory worker from <laughs> Preston, which I actually was back in the day. <laughs> so it was factory easier. worker from Preston. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I actually had to mimic. Uh, there was a, a guy in there from Yorkshire, because I like I've not I don't go back to Preston very much, mm. so my accent's probably gone quite a lot. So I had to like listen to his accent and try and copy it. And at one stage he was like, he's like, mate, are you sure you're from Preston? He's like, you sound like you're from Yorkshire. <laughs> you nearly rumbled yourself yeah. by being, trying to be clued too clever. <laughs> but nah, I decided to go in as like factory worker from Preston. But What kind of factory? See, I Win- never really Windows, picked his double, story about it. Oh, I did actually, didn't yeah. I? Yeah, yeah. But I found it was that much of a boring uh, job description that as soon as someone said, hey, what do you do? And I was like, factory work from Preston. No one wanted to ask any questions. That's not taking anything away from people that are actually factory workers from Preston and that from deal Preston. with double glazing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably went to Tokyo Joe's back in the day. Yeah, but it was it was, I th- I th- it was was funny because that day before I went and met all the recruits, that night we were like... This, is, this is the bit I'm trying to get to now. So just, just before, <laughs> so he skipped forward a little bit. We're doing all the prep. We're all excited. We're going to look at all the different tasks and rehearsing and working out who's going to do what. And then we get to the point where, so what was what actually happened was me and Ollie were in a B&B just down the corner. The snug. The snug. You were in a, an Airbnb with yeah. Ant and Billy and it was nice, wasn't it? You know, it's mm-hmm. a nice little house. And then it gets to the, the night before the shoot. Now, obviously me and ollie and billy are still allowed one more night in those in that accommodation before we move into the the grim accommodation but not jay no. jay's now got to infiltrate and he's shipped off and he i'll tell you what he looked miserable it's horrible. that last night was horrible wasn't it yeah I just we were all it. giggling yeah i just wasn't speaking i was just silent <laughs> but we, we were sat down like, drink, like you had finished a few feeling, bottles of red you? yeah finished a few bottles of red at the biggest steak ever and then i you know 24 hours later i was parading as a recruit in the hotel but you actually you had to have dinner didn't you with you, them with, yeah. with like so the recruits aren't allowed to speak to each other essentially but they're allowed to have dinner and you sit down in pairs. Is that right? Yeah. So like, so they snuck me in that night. So I arrived probably about half 11 so that, you know, you're trying to limit the amount of time that you can have a conversation with someone. Yeah. Cause that's like, once the show starts, there's not really much time to have a conversation with people to figure out much about them. Mm. Um, so that was, you know, trying to minimize that time that I spent in the hotel. So I went to bed, woke up that morning and everyone gets briefed that you're not allowed to speak to anyone. So I come You're down, probably like, ah, thank God for that. I know. Like, <laughs> hotel in the middle of Scotland. Like, no one really goes up there. The weather's shite. Come down. Like, come down for breakfast. And they were, like, because everyone got told not to sit to sit with anyone. So no one sat with anyone. So all the tables have just got one person on them. But, like, there was no free tables. And I'm, like, looking around going, ah, oh, fuck. I'm gonna have to sit with someone. <laughs> Old Big Jerome, is he number eleven or number? He was number eighteen, if I think. Number if I eighteen, right, yeah. yeah. Big Jerome. I just like looked at him. I was like, "Anyone sat there, mate?" He's like, "No." <laughs> so I'm like sat opposite Jerome. Neither of us are talking to each other. <laughs> oh. The most surreal, weird thing, weirdest thing that I've ever done. Um, but yeah, then like you have breakfast. I just rush my breakfast, and then you do like a prep day. Yeah. but like you get to meet everyone and um, <clears throat> yeah you get to meet everyone and you know talk about where you're from and stuff do a swim test but it was, it, it's weird because you know rewind 24 hours I was sat sat with you guys <laughs> drinking red wine and eating steak <laughs> and you knew that we were still having fun I know, I know. Oh. Oh, so go on keep going but this, yeah. is, this is what people people want to hear really yeah so you do the, you do the 24 hours um, quite simple you know it's uh, so so we'd planned it I'd sat down with the producers 
and we'd planned like where my bed space would be, like who I was going to be in the car with that morning so that, you know, I'd be sat with like the less inquisitive ones or the quieter people mm. so that, you know, you get, I get chance to kind of warm into kind of being it's like a proper undercover operation wasn't it oh we thought about absolutely everything (laughs) absolutely everything um so yeah i get in the car you do that day and then i think the first time so you get up that next morning i think it was about 2 30 a.m you stick so channel forward bought me these um like eat like amazon waterproofs (laughs) these black ones um and i double jumpered because I knew it was going to be cold. Because I knew exactly what was coming. I knew the opening scene. We'd been there on the rib. We'd like looked around. Um, I knew it was going to be absolutely Baltic. So I double jumpered. I had a set of jeans on. Nobody was, double jumpers. Nobody double jumpers, mate. I don't even know. I didn't even know there was a thing called double jumper. Um, so I knew exactly what was coming. Um, and I was trying to dress as civilian as possible. So I went for classic hoodie jeans and, and trainers like I was oblivious to what was about to happen you know people turn up in outdoor clothing and all sorts um, and then yeah you get picked up by the ribs and it's a, it's like a first or a, it's a nighttime move at around 3.30 to like to a first light almost beach assault slash or is it the boat drop off fast boat drop off so just prior to this oh yeah yeah they, the, 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 the ribs come into the quay on, on the Isle of Rasse and um, we then load on so you, you get told what boats to load on to and you don't really know we don't know any of them but obviously we knew Jay so I've jumped on a boat with Billy which is going to be the initial boat because I was doing the demo of the fast boat drop off lo and behold there, <laughs> the there's ball. Jay Morton and I'm like <laughs> looking at him and he's just looking down looking I grim and... I couldn't look at you Foxy no, no. like me and Foxy know each other from before the show <laughs> So like I didn't mind looking. Well, I didn't mind looking at any other DS, but as soon as I looked at Foxy, I just knew I'd just I'd burst out in laughter, or he'd burst out in laughter. But but the atmosphere on that, I mean, that boat journey was awesome. Yeah. The weather wasn't. It was it was early early morning. Light was just coming about. You know, the sun was just rising. We had a pod of about a hundred hundred porpoise yeah. dolphin following the boats, and off we were. And then yeah, we were straight into it. And that I, was I must you. just add before that when we came to pick you up the DS up fucking Billy just smashed straight into it didn't he <laughs> did you see that I was like sat there minding my own business and I just get a big elbow from Billy bang <laughs> I was like fuck I'm a recruit aren't I <laughs> I am a recruit and that that was it that was the beginning of your six days of utter hell hell mate yeah yeah And there I, was... must, I must add it was harder than I thought yeah but you, I mean there was one time when obviously we got to see you every now and again which yeah. was which kept you going I suppose you put in a great shift and I have to say we had to keep telling like you were trying not to shine but we had to keep saying for fuck's sake Jay just slow I down I remember like the opening like the opening day and um, we we got our got our kit off down to our boxer shorts and we're getting beasted and Ant's doing his thing shouting at us and like I, I, you know, the beasting was pretty chilled. It was a few burpees, some press ups. I was actually glad of it because I was cold. Mm. I was shivering, and uh, I was shivering, but not shivering. Mm. I was trying my hardest. <laughs> I was basically using absolute fucking mind control, trying not to shiver every time the camera came around. Because <laughs> <laughs> you knew it'd bite you in the yeah. Eye. And like, if the other recruits saw me as like the main shiverer or like someone who shivered, I was like. And a few of them have said to me afterwards, like, mate, you don't shiver. Like, yeah, we learn it. But, um, yeah, we get beasted. And uh, at the time, Ollie was walking to the top of a hill, probably about 200 metres. And I was like, because I was a bit, not paranoid, but I was a bit concerned about how fit these people would be yeah. coming on. Because, you know... We always are, though. Yeah. We always are, yeah. Like, like, I look after myself. I'm always in shape. You know, I pride myself on, like, being able to do anything at any any time and being conditioned but like you never get a chance to test it against other people so at that time I was like and I've not done any training I sat in Portugal for two weeks surfing before I went on you know drinking sangrias and surfing before <coughs> I went on, on the show um, so I was like right this is my time now to gauge where I am and Ollie walks up to the top of this hill and obviously I knew it was coming and I was you know I was 
probably about half, like in the middle of the park. And I was all like, in their underwear, I might add. All as in well. our, yeah, my red Kelvins. <laughs> and uh, I was like, right, so jogging nice and smooth. I wasn't out of breath. Got to the front and I was running nice and nice and chilled. And I remember turning round to see where someone was behind me. Couldn't see anyone. There's no one behind me. And I like got up to Ollie. <laughs> And Ollie was just, I thought Ollie was going to be like, you're right, mate, how's it going here? Just get in the squat position. He's like, fancy yourself as a fucking hero, do you? <laughs> you get can... down in the squat position. I was like, oh, yes, stop. You can always count on Ollie to bring you back down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, it was all, I remember you did say once, you were like, God, you don't know how much power you lot have when you walk into a room, which is a bit scary. But, it's the um, presence, I think. Yeah. You've got presence. Mm. So anyway, that was you as the recruit we did the reveal which was super exciting yeah. and I, I mean I, it was it was building up for a good day and a half and I even I was getting excited it got to the point where he had been cold for being an absolute bell end. <laughs> we'd moved on from that they'd forgotten that you even existed by this stage because yeah. it was a good four hours in wasn't it I think it was about yeah I think it was about three hours three, three or four hours, hours in, yeah. and then we're all up on the sort of podium the dais the stage whatever you want to call it and then Ant does his spiel and at a set given time a certain word was the trigger you would walk up and as I heard that gate from behind me open I had to look at the deck because I, I, I could tell I was just going to start bursting laughing it was horrendous <laughs> it was tense wasn't it it was tense yeah, yeah. and there was, a, there was there was you could tell that there was a weird sharp intake of breath from a few of them yeah it was, was I mean they kept it together if I'm honest they did well to keep it together but I remember just getting up to that day and like I think days five and six I was just like because you know when I say it was hard like I'm I'm 36 now and I've done all that shit I've done all that bullshit like I don't want to do it again if I'm honest <laughs> like I, I don't mind doing you know I enjoy doing difficult things I enjoy going on Everest doing these expeditions but that's my choice mm. to then go back to the bullshit when someone scream at you it's like it's like para-reg but it's like depot yeah that's probably worse recruit training yeah um, so like you know by day five I was over all the bullshit <laughs> um, well, well I'd say day one hour, hour five I was over all the bullshit yeah um, excuse me so got to like day five day five and six or day five I was just like fuck this I think that's when I went to see Ant in the, in the dock and Ant's just like mate one more day I had a good old chocolate bar I think it was a battle ready fuel bar and uh, <laughs> not mentioning names but uh yeah, I was like, fuck this. Like, day five and six just seemed to drag, which was good because, you know, it added to my cover story because mm. I, I ended up being, you know, I was in a bit of a mood on day six, didn't really want to speak to anyone, just like, you know, did the old classic, this is shit, I want to get out of here. Like, started dropping hints so that when I did finally lose the like helmet. a real soldier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, just play, I just played myself and I wasn't a factory worker from Preston. <laughs> So when the time came and that helmet went diffy, missing. Yeah, it was it was quite easy. Like I was I was just looking I was looking forward to the moment. It as was, tense it was, as it was because it was tense. We knew that you were just you we because even we were like we're counting down the days like oh he's got two days <laughs> left or oh it's the last day. But and I then, knew I knew like what I knew you guys were getting good food. You were showering. Ooh, I don't know about good food. Yeah, it wasn't. That Didn't have a good it? shower though. Didn't have a good that shower. That shower was amazing. It was awesome, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. But then you you did you did you you transitioned. You yeah. were the turncoat. You came on and you were now the DS. And uh, you were literally like that. Ah, thank you. Look, you came in. You did. It had a wash. It got into oh, clean mate. clothes. Like literally, like, did that out in did that scene where our VW, like what like went into the doctor's office. They went into the accommodation. I walked out straight into one of those discoveries, straight to that hotel, turned the shower on hot, ordered a steak, ordered a camembert, <laughs> big cappuccino, and just sat there. Uh, probably spent about 30 minutes in the shower and then walked out on stage. Legend. Anyway, right, we're going to move on. We're not going to move on properly because what we're going to do now is... I've selected. I've got. We, I got people to send in possible questions for uh, Jay. That was on Instagram. Now um, I've been inundated with those questions. So thank you to everyone for, for put um, putting those um, questions into me on that on that platform. What I'm going to do is I'm going to select some. Now some I can't ask. Not on the air. 
but what I can do is select what I'm going to do is probably select about 10 and what I will do from those 10 is select the top three and the top three will all get a free bottle of Talisker will get sent out to them boom bottle of 10 year old the flagship of nice. Talisker's whiskey and you'll be referred to by your Insta handle because I obviously don't know you well I might know you but I might not know your Insta handle so Jacob underscore Koto dot N this is one of the questions are there any aspects of military life that you feel you miss out on now you've left yeah I feel like we've covered covered that yeah. I think just the camaraderie shit camaraderie shit he's a tell I wasn't good at school <laughs> <laughs> no just that group aspect of it yeah um, yeah I really miss that I think it was easy for me transitioning into through dark yeah because we we're all ex-special forces guys mm-hmm. so gone from working with ex-special forces guys to sorry working with special forces guys into working with ex-special forces guys so there's still the ethos there it's been a lucky transition then really to a certain yeah degree, not- and, and then you know I'll add to that is I do miss the job and I miss you know I miss aspects of the job mm. I miss shooting I miss training I miss you know I miss doing all those things that you probably take for granted whilst you're doing them yeah yeah definitely and now I'm out you know I spend I try to spend the majority of my, my time doing things I enjoy like all my hobbies getting out in the hills uh, but I spend quite a bit of time in an office mm. and I kind of reflect on you know you never spend any time in the office so when you do you just spinning dits and drinking brews <laughs> um, next one is from Jash Jashkar um, it <clears throat> is basically best part about being the mole and will he put out a book about his experiences boom I'd say the best part about being the mole was not being the mole at the end <laughs> I wouldn't say there's the best part of it um, do, do you know what probably it, it was quite interesting just getting to, to know all the other recruits and, and get to know what they're really like and I know yes we turned that against them when I became the DS but actually that was genuine like a, you know I've got an interest in people and it was interesting to get to, to know them all personally um, and then book I'd say so yeah I'd say I'll keep keep everyone posted on a potential book coming out. Nothing in the making yet, but yeah, okay, cool. Um, we've already covered this one, Keelan. So Keelan underscore Faulkner. What's the day to day like? What's day to day like in the SAS? So just a quick. I mean, if I'm honest, I could answer this one. There's no day is the same. No. But I guess when you're in camp. You get up, you have a bit of time to go to the gym, so between eight and nine, you go down to the gym, you parade in, in the office, and then you, you pretty much know the detail of the day. But, you know, like Foxy said, no day is different, but a, a day in camp might be, you go and do some training in the morning, break for lunch, go and do some training in the evening, probably finish around two or three, um, or it can be later, eat some dinner, and then, like sit around with the lads cool uh, Nafe's lifestyle <clears throat> this is a pretty good question that people I mean it's not up there in the top three sorry mate but it is interesting what's the SAS who dares wins diet so not not oh. what the, not the DS yeah the recruits the recruits we actually get quite a bit of food but obviously we're the fucking DS so we should do but anyway you know the food that the recruits get served is probably the hardest or I found was probably the hardest aspect of being a recruit um, so I'd, I'd say breakfast is probably a slice of cold toast a boiled egg uh, there's 25 recruits you probably got 20 boiled eggs and probably about 13 pieces of fruit sometimes you get cold porridge sometimes not lunch was big bowl big big uh, thing of soup maybe a slice of bread two slices of bread but obviously there's not that much soup to go around everyone and then dinner dinner was some of the dinners were okay but it was mainly like some green beans some plain potatoes which I hate and like a piece of shitty chicken so like reduced calories utter crap right for next one did I know Jay Morton while he was in the special forces 
we were in at the same time didn't really know him knew of him but we sort of crossed paths you see people mm. and you know people that you know each other and all this sort of thing I got to know him more when you left and came into Through Dark really yeah. so that's just a bit of information for people um, before hang on a minute I'm going to choose right I've chosen I've chosen the three top ones real quick one actually sorry that was from Peter 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 K. Vinge, I think. Ving. Sorry if I got that wrong. Um, last one before we go into the top three. From Jack underscore, underscore Bainon underscore zero three. For you, what is the hardest thing to overcome psychologically on selection? It's a hard question. I, you know, going back to selection, I, I enjoyed selection. Mm. I don't think there's... You know, you accept all the difficult aspects of it. So the lack of sleep, you know... You, you you sign it off and you, you understand that it's going to be a difficult thing to do I never once thought about VWing mm-hmm. I kind of surrounded m- myself around people that thought the same thing and you almost see people don't you you see you see the people that are going to VW and you you can see it in their eyes or how they are and yeah. pr- you're pretty much right every time the next day they'll, they'll go and VW right here we go top three <clears throat> so at number three and in receipt of a Talisker bottle of ten year old We've got Xella Foster X. So Xella Foster X. What advice would you give your younger self today? Standard question, but I felt it was quite good. So you get a bottle of Talisker. Um, probably just uh, you know, I was I was probably quite lazy when I was growing up. Yeah. Probably just work harder. Um, do more things. So you know, cert- you know, give more time for say hobbies or sports or meeting people commit to doing more difficult things get out of my comfort zone more and trust the system and trust that everything will figure itself out happy days and in at number two another bottle of Talisker 10 year old this question's from <laughs> Rolful Copter Panda <laughs> so Rolful Got a question Copter from Panda. Panda this is quite a good question because I've seen it come up on Instagram a lot and I'm like okay this I just need this question to be answered how did you hide your paras tattoo which you've got on your chest from the other recruits when you were the mole I've had a pound for everyone every time someone asked that question even people ask me the question <laughs> go on. Um, so I got my parachute regiment tattoo covered up um, so there's a big skull there now this so is this why, is our, that's why no one saw this it this is how dedicated he is to being the mole we actually went, he flew to Mallorca, Magaluf. Magaluf, and got his tattoo covered out there <laughs> for this. Although you were going to, I was going to get it yeah. done anyway, and this kind of just, kind of just forced me into doing it. This is number one. <clears throat> Again, you get a bottle of Talisker, but this this had to be asked. So the name is C L I O D H N A P H E L A N. So if that's you, good effort. The question is, you can't be that, you can't be that hard all the time. What makes your heart melt? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that was always getting read out. Good effort. Clear. Chocolate. <laughs> Chocolate. Oh, come on. Um, fucking hell. Come I on. am that hard all the time. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is a lie. You sticking with chocolate or are you going to... you going to... What makes my heart melt? Um, sunrises, sunsets beautiful scenery I don't fucking know <laughs> I reckon we'll stick with uh, beautiful scenery you're that kind yeah, of guy beautiful scenery. right here we go we're going to wrap up pretty soon now but you're cracking on with Through Dark mm. you are one of the DS what have you got up th- what have you got coming up this year uh, quite a busy year really we've got loads going on with Through Dark so <clears throat> Sunday I fly out to Japan going to film a, a, a short ski movie out there um, and then Hopefully, I'm meeting a guy after this to talk about some ski expedition stuff in Slovenia. Uh, the big one will be K2, which I'm trying to get on or trying to raise funds for in June, July. I mean, that's pretty busy, to be fair. I know, I know. Time just goes so fast. Yeah, There's not Mate, enough hours in the day. Quality quality time. Glad we got a chance to speak. Thanks for coming in. Awesome, and, uh, mate. We'll see you soon, mate. Cheers for having us on.
thanks very much to Jay. Hope you enjoyed the chat. Really appreciate you listening and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow me and the Book of Man for the latest news. Thanks to Talisker for supporting this podcast. The lucky folk whose questions reached number one, two and three that I read out will be getting a bottle of their excellent 10-year-old whiskey. Cheers, everyone. Hope to see you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.